Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Doesn't that sort of defeat the whole purpose? Isn't it like curing a hangnail by lopping off your hand? Being the cagey guy I am, I asked Wendy if the impotence would go away when I stopped taking the pill, and she said yes, but the newly grown hair would go away as well. Well, I said, how long is that window of opportunity open? How long before my hair falls out? She smiled and said kindly, don't worry, not before closing time. That is great. I hope I wrote that. I hope that's true. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Apparently I wrote it. Bill Isaacson said it's in one of the books. I apparently wrote it. I don't know how to look up what I've ever written. So Luckily, you, you've clipped everything you've ever written, and but it's I've upstairs. Never, they're all upstairs. I just have never referred to them. I felt that that burden should be passed upon to my children. <laughs> a couple of mentions before we go. Sean, um, not Sean who's doing the engineering, Sean who uh, does the Philadelphia pretzels for us. He writes, hey, Nigel, it's that time of year again. We go, we're doing drop-offs this coming Monday, April 25th, for National Pretzel Day on April 26th. If the gang is interested, we would be happy to drop off some, even though we're out in Crofton. We still get littles who swing by to check in, and I love giving them a lachiserie with a free dip. I actually went out and got special cutters just for Michael to enjoy. We don't sell them at the store, but we know he wishes the Nats had better stuff, and we are trying for a contract before the learners sell. Anyway, let me know if you'd like me to drop things off, and we'd be happy to make that happen. Yes. Yes. We like those pretzels. Yes. National Pretzel Day. Yes. Philadelphia pretzels. Yes. Sure. Uh, um, I've got a couple of other things I'm not going to read on the air, but I want to thank people very specifically. Steve Reddish, I want to thank for the lovely note that you sent. And I want to thank Antonio Rodriguez, who now lives in an island called Yap. Yeah. An island called Yap. I'd never heard of Yap. It's a long way away from any place that I've ever heard of. He wrote a very long letter. Um, he's a master sergeant in the United States Army, and after 22 years of service, he's going to retire in the next few months. And he wrote a letter detailing, he said that Wilbon and I saved his life. I don't want to take any particular credit for that um, because he's very heroic and did many tours of duty and faced combat many times. I just want to say thank you very, very much for the fact that you watch the PTI show and like the PTI show, and I wish you and your family all the best in the new life of retirement. Thank you for a very heartfelt letter. Appreciate that. Let me start the show now with a bunch of things. I, I want to start with this. It was so windy yesterday afternoon in Washington, D.C. Right, Michael? So amazing. Did you see the snow? A little mixed precept down no. in Nats Park? No, I didn't see the snow. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, not at all. Oh, so windy. Could have also been some tree blossoms, but it looked like <laughs> snow, felt like snow. <laughs> felt like it, yes. This is not the first time it's been really windy um, as we escape to spring from winter. Winter had incredible winds. They seem to always be there on the weekends when you wanted to go out and play golf. Just really, really windy. So what I'd like you to try to do, Nigel, I think we should try to get Sammy on the show. Jason Salmonow. Oh, sure. From the Capital Weather Gang. Now, I assume he speaks English. And when I say speaks English, of course you know he speaks English. But there's a difference between speaking English and being able to go on right. and talk to people. But sound him out. Did I read that he has a meteorological degree from Harvard? Or am I making that up? Well, somebody, somebody at the Capital Weather Gang does. Is it him? Sure. Sammy? Okay. Not so, sure. We'll fact check that. Well, just call him up. Because I want to know why are we ha is this part of global warming? Is this part of climate change? Is just is this just simply aberrant this year? We have so much wind. Yes, I mean it just never stopped. It it goes you know it's it's the little wind um, logo that they put on the weather apps, and you go, what do you mean? <laughs> like for hours at a time. Yes, it doesn't tell you if it's going to be sunny. It doesn't it doesn't tell you any. It just it's says wind wind. wind. Yes. And it is significant wind. If you are a golfer at all, you go out in this, you go, I can't. What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing in this thing. So we should talk about that. Second thing I wanted to talk about, a little bit on the Nats. The Nats bullpen was great yesterday. I haven't said that sentence <laughs> in years. I just love that you, you missed you missed the ninth inning. I missed Tanner Rainey. No Tanner got out of it. Got a bit dicey, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't like Tanner Rainey, but if you load the bases, there was a pitcher. Yeah, you take care of it yourself. There was a pitcher many years ago who was a reliever for the Baltimore Orioles when Earl Weaver was managing, and his name was Don Stanhouse. <laughs> and he used to do that all the time, load the bases. 
And Earl Weaver had a nickname for him, Full Pack, because Earl would go back in the dugout and smoke a full pack of cigarettes <laughs> while Stanhouse was on the mound for one inning. Tanner Rainey may be the reincarnation of Stanhouse. So Coco interviewed him on field after the game, and Rainey sounded like he had just been in a car chase. <laughs> I just was unable to control his breath. Well, you know. <laughs> the life of a closer. Kyle right. Finnegan gave him two great eight, eight inning, the eighth inning twice. And he walked the first guy in game one. And then he got a double play. And then he got a strikeout. Good hair. I, I never say that the Nats bullpen is good, but it was good. And plus, Victor Robles is hitting 107 points higher than he was hitting last week. <laughs> he's hitting 107. <laughs> no, he's still nowhere close to being productive. But he had a hit in each of the games yesterday, and I believe maybe he scored a run in each of the yeah. games. I think that's possible. Baby yeah. steps. And it was only one run in the second baby game. Baby steps. Yeah. You know, yes, baby steps for Victor Just, Those are the deepest this, any of the starters have gone this All year. All year. Yeah. Into the sixth. Or, or Aiden went beyond the sixth, into the seventh, right? It's a little bit different than Max Scherzer uh, with, the, with the Mets. Max Giving Scherzer 10 strikeouts. 10 Ks yesterday. Now, Max Scherzer now 3-0. and here, let's just say this. Max Scherzer worth $43 million a year. John Wall not worth $43 million a year. Comparative, yes. Max Scherzer worth it at the moment. 2.5 ERA and 3-0 and for the Mets. Looks like a pretty good signing at the moment. I also wanted to get to this. I tuned into the first game yesterday. I was getting ready for PTI. I knew the, Mets were pl- the Nats rather were playing a day-night doubleheader. And I knew it was cold, and I knew it was windy. And I didn't expect to see many people there. Ooh. There weren't any people there. They had the smallest crowd they've ever had. So this they is had one 9, game. And I would have nine, loved yeah. to have been at that game. That, that's the type of game you, you talk about. You get all the baseballs. Years. Yeah, you bring the kids down. But yeah. you, you, you have a great time. You get right down to the, uh, right down to the dugout. There was no, even in the seats right behind home plate, there were like 12 people. So Bootsy yeah. comes home from school. I got the game on in the background. I think he thinks Spider-Man's playing because they're all wearing the, oh, sort yeah. of the ski masks. Yeah. And he's been super into, they can climb great heights to do what's right. The Spidey team is on the scene. <laughs> swinging. Sp- uh, yeah. It's a different did you, generation. Did you see the crowd? Yeah. No the lack there. of crowd? Yeah. Like and so if game. you want to know why would somebody want to sell a baseball team? Well, if it mattered, you walk up your gate. Nobody went. Now, that was postponed from the night before. You, yes. buy a, you buy a hot dog or a beer on your phone, they'll give you another one for free. That's who's going in April. It's right. just, it's, you know, there was nobody there. But there were more people there. I did something the other night. I was going around the dial, and I go through all the sports stations before I go through all the movie stations to see if there's anything I might want to see. And I landed on FS1, Fox Sports 1. And they were doing a USFL game. (laughs) Now, the USFL plays all of its games. This is so weird. In Birmingham, Alabama. So instead of having a large supermarket, they have a corner store. This particular game, I don't know who was playing. It was not last night. It was the night before. And they were doing a real live broadcast. And they were interviewing players during the game. They were doing, Fox Sports was doing everything it could to make this game accessible to people. I think the Tampa Bay Bandits were one of the teams. I'm not certain, though. And I admired the telecast. When I tell you there was nobody in the stands, this is, I am not exaggerating, the large expanse of stands behind the players on the bench who were talking during the game, there's nobody there. I've seen this before in my life. I've probably told these stories. I have gone to women's golf tournaments. This is 30 years ago. It's not now. But 30 years ago, you'd go to an LPGA golf tournament, and there might be nobody at a hole. Nobody except the golfers and the people carrying the scoreboards. Nobody else. It's a long time ago. And you go, well, how do you stay in business? Well, the LPGA stayed in business by having great stars, by, by knowing how to market, by moving around literally from country to country, where they thought they could get better crowds. And now they have good crowds, not great crowds. They have good crowds. The USFL had nobody. I understand you're bankrolled by television. But when you see a game like that, when there's nobody there, you, you don't, 
You have a lack of enthusiasm for the game. It doesn't matter as much. You pay less attention. Is it better? It's or worse? crippling. Is it better or worse to see the empty seats or to see them doing like the team logos as a tarp that they're covering over a couple of sections to make it just look intentional? I think empty seats is far worse. I think empty seats says to you as a viewer, why am I watching? Right. If no, if people, if nobody's there, why am I? Do they have an attendance on that game? Who played in the game? Uh, looks like it was the Tampa Bay Bandits and the Pittsburgh Maulers. Pittsburgh yes. Maulers. That's yes. right. Seventeen three, the final. I don't know. Um, I don't know anybody on either team. It do, that doesn't matter. Who right. the half? But they re- did. Did they say an attendance? Did they give an attendance at the end of the box? I, I look through the box score. It does not give an attendance, as, as it usually does. Yes, not available. That was just a stunner to me. Yeah. Um, as as you're going through the dial last night, did you see the new Thirty for Thirty, The Shark? I did. I watched about twenty minutes of that, and I, I'm not a Greg Norman fan personally, but I was a fan of that. Of that movie. More of a fan after. So I taped it because we were watching uh, Top Chef A and the Nats. So I watched the end of it when the Nats game ended. So like the last 15 minutes and then the restart, the first like 15 or They hadn't gotten to Faldo yet. Faldo had talked throughout the thing. So I see Faldo at the end where he's doing the like, it's like going to see a bad movie and getting popcorn. Why do you want to watch this? (laughs) So... Um, Norman was um, the shots of him walking in empty Augusta. As I assume he's just playing a practice round when he's going through, like the you know right in front of fifteen and sixty. Just sad. Um, what could have been? I had greater respect for him having watched the parts of that that I watched. I didn't watch all. Very of it. interesting timing given where Greg Norman has been this yes winter. with the with the Saudi Golf League, which makes me inclined to not like him at all. So I would I would commend this one to people. I didn't see all of it, just about 15 minutes, but I would commend this they, one to they people. They do a great job pacing. As opposed so you go to back that to, You go back thing. to the 86 Masters, which is 10 years before the collapse, and to see the charge he makes before eventually making that mistake from the fairway on, on 18. On 18. Everyone forgets that. And then even in 96, you forget that on the back nine, he tries to make a comeback, and to hear in his own words how he's trying to chip in on 15 to sort of push this thing, it's... I will say this, that Greg, Greg Norman has lost three Masters... In heartbreaking style. Nobody else has ever done that. The first one was to Jack Nicholas in 1986. And Michael, I did not recall. I just always assumed that when that putt goes in on 18 and Nicholas raises the putter up, I just assumed that he knew he won the tournament. Oh, it's 17? At 17, rather. There's lots to go after that. Oh, yeah. Norman's out on the course for an hour after that. He's four, yeah, Norman four makes a behind, terrible second shot on 18, bogeys a hole. Wide right, wide right. And loses... To Nicholas. He then loses to Larry Mize on a chip, chip in. in. Yeah. Larry Mize never won any other major one. I think four tournaments the Arms whole time. still in the air. Right. And that was, a, I mean, from very far away, wasn't it? Local kid. Yeah. Born and raised in Augusta. Worked at Augusta. Worked as, at the scoreboards in Augusta. And then he loses the worst of all. With a six-shot lead, loses by five to Faldo. It's an 11-shot swing. It's the worst of all time. Yes. And Greg Norman was number one in the world for years. And Jack Nicklaus said of Greg Norman... His game was designed for Augusta. He's the best. And he won two majors, um, two British Opens, I think. Never won a major in the United States. Had the looks, had the personality, had everything. Couldn't win. Augusta broke his heart. So, anyway... Uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with the beginning. Uh, thanks to all the people who, by the way, um, took pleasure, a melancholy pleasure in the Wendy Rieger show that we did. It was the right way to go. We, we don't do eulogies. If we have tape on people talking, we let you hear them. Michael Wilbon, we think, we hope, will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Alexa Lash. Alexa Lash says, I'm reading here, I'm a Miami-born singer-songwriter. I just released a new EP called Already Not the Same. 
a four-song experience that takes you on a journey through joy, nostalgia, sadness, and empowerment. My music is a self-reflective kind of folksy, a tone likened to bluesy. My hook's sticky and catchy with a touch of soul and drizzle with a smidgen of pop. But is all at once memorable, insightful, and intimate, beautifully crafted, and entirely original. She's not shy. <laughs> no. She's not shy. This is called Stay Over. And this plays in Michael Wilbon. We will play Alexa Lash twice today. Her group is called Alexa and the Old Fashions. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. Very cool. We're grateful for that. Uh, and by the way, she will be performing with her full band at Bar Nancy in Miami, Florida on April 23rd, which is coming up Saturday. I know what April 23rd is because it is the birthday of Liz Hardwick. Michael Wilbon is with us. I was going to ask you, when I write all the questions down, the most significant results so far. And I had believed that the significant result, the most significant result, was the way that Philadelphia was dominating Toronto. But that was before this morning when I saw what happened in Phoenix last night. Now, I don't believe for a second that that means Phoenix will lose this series. But I will tell you, I was really surprised by that. How about you? Um, not when you're watching it. You're not surprised. Not when, not when Devin Booker, who has 31 points in the first half on 7 for 10 three-point shooting, goes out. And you, 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 you realize, wait a minute, Booker's not in the lineup. And um, who's doing the game? I'm having to see a moment. It wasn't Reggie. Maybe it was Reggie. Whoever's doing the game says Booker United on our bench. And you go, oh, no, 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 no. This is worst nightmare territory uh, if you're the Phoenix Suns, that Booker or Chris Paul or Aiton, but Booker, Chris Paul particularly, uh, would have to stop playing in, in any game in the playoffs. And New Orleans was already playing well. I mean, Booker had 31 in the first half, and Phoenix was up four, I think. I think it was a four-point halftime lead. So, you know, watch. No, you're not surprised after that. There's nobody in. Look, I, I know that the, the, the John Morant, his team played so well without him in the regular season. This isn't the regular season. The Suns were 5-2 and two in the seven games Booker missed with a hamstring pull, the other hamstring, uh, during the regular season, 5-2. and two. And I think they were 10-4 and four without Chris Paul. And Chris mm-hmm. Paul fractured a thumb, whatever it was. But this, these, these are the playoffs. It's a whole different animal. And no team is going to win without a guy who is going to be first-team All-NBA, I think, when all the votes are counted. I think Booker will be first-team All-NBA. Nobody is going to win without that guy. And so this is a very – we don't know about the dawn of morning yet because it's too early here right now. But it's going right, to be right. morning in the Valley. So he has had a hamstring pull already in his other thigh? The other one, yes. He has a left hamstring pull, missed seven games. Well, he can't and miss people, seven in the playoffs. He can't. No, well, I mean, if you, you can. do, you, yeah. I mean, yeah, you well, do. Then, you, you, you yeah. The teams are too good, Tom. One of the themes, to be the most important theme of the year in the NBA is, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. There, each conference is 10 deep. And so the 10th team in New Orleans is reconstituted, of course, and you have liked what they've done with C.J. Well, I like McCollum. I think he's really good, yeah. I mean, that coach, Willie Green. And Ingram. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a former, and Ingram, he's a former son's assistant. He's Monty Williams' assistant. Mm-hmm. It's his first year. His first year as a head coach, I think, at any level. And so, you know, the, the, the league is too deep. The league has never been this deep. And you look at a one seed. All you got to do is look at the whole Brooklyn situation. So, yeah, the Suns are in trouble. Big trouble. So we don't know how long he'll be out. I'm wondering, you know Chris Paul very well. Chris Paul's career is littered with nightmares in the playoffs. Yeah. Nightmares in the playoffs. This has to flash through his mind a little bit, don't you think? Well, he won't let it. That's that's t- when you've had that kind of misfortune tone, when you've had that kind of star-crossed life in the playoffs in your career, you, you have to. There has to be something about your constitution, about your makeup, which will not let you give in, and will not let you let go of the rope. 
That's who Chris Paul is. More than any athlete I have ever known, or as much as, put it that way. Look, his will is, you know, his will is Jordan-like and Brady-like. And it doesn't mean that you get to win. You know, I hate when I hear announcers say, you know, that wasn't his best effort. Shut up. Don't describe his effort. You don't know what his effort was. You can say that was a terrible putt. Don't say it wasn't his best effort. And so Chris Paul has that kind of will. And, um, you know, I I don't, you know, would I think it would cross our mind? Of course it would. And and I guess his. Yeah, I guess we were sitting around today talking. It would it would more than cross his mind. It would be like, oh my God, are you kidding me? We've got the best team. We've got the best team. We've got a young star who just six minutes ago was in the process of a thirty-one point half, and now he's sitting there glum on the bench. And there was nothing. There was no faking. Booker's response and look that he had on his face. He he knew what had just happened, and, and and he ran. He was running down a defensive play. He was trying to block a shot, and, and they were into it. I mean, the the, the New Orleans was into it. Might have won the game anyway. But now we're not talking about the game. We're talking about the series and a season. Hamstrings do not go away. Asked James Harden. <laughs> They don't go away. Reggie Jackson used to have hamstring problems, and they would attack you at the smallest moment. You know when you don't when you don't expect yeah. that. I mean, you'd be, you'd be running Charles great, and, and then and Kenny yeah. all said in the moment, in the moment, they said, "Listen, hamstring." You don't even want to say the yeah. word hamstring. You know, yeah. hamstring in that sport is like shank in golf. You don't even want to hear the word. And so, and, and Booker was playing so beautifully. I mean, just and of course not just last night, but to get to the point where you're going to be a first-team All-NBA player for the first time in your career. That, 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 that's a hell of a thing. You've had, you've had a truly great season, his best season. And now, you know, I was thinking last night when they were down one or two, if they can still steal this game and get to 2-0, then you can let Booker rest no matter what he wants to do the next two games. And you hope to get him back in like six days or something like that. Now, Tom, now look, they can win without Booker one series still. They can do that. They're that good. Sure, sure. But, but Tony, Tony, everybody's good. We saw this with Minnesota and, and, and Memphis. Everyone in, in, you know, and when they got, they willed this thing down to 10, down to eight, I'm sorry, from 10 each. And you got rid of the Clippers and you got rid of who you get rid of. These teams are good now. They really are. Well, they may be good, but some of them are matched up in precarious circumstances. Toronto cannot yes, beat Philadelphia. Yes, Toronto. Well, Toronto's so, got injuries, you know, they just can't. Toronto's yeah, they can't. Best, well, Toronto, can't beat them. Look, in three years, we're going to say Scotty Barnes may be the best player on Toronto. He may be like, you know, I mean, a, 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 an all-league player. Again, you are not going to win without those players. We saw this already. The Clippers are at home because Kawhi Leonard's at home. There are not three teams. So we've got 16 teams in. We've got eight series. Of those eight series, only three have seen that thing that we refer to magically as the beginning of a series. When the home team loses. When the home team loses, it's a significant thing. So Phoenix is one of them. Dallas is one of them. Dallas has lost because they don't have Luka Doncic, who is by far their best player. And one of the five best players in basketball. They don't have him. Absolutely. Uh, And Memphis lost. And Memphis lost. Because of all the matchups out there, the two teams that should be playing each other because they are the same team, young, brash, without playoff experience, are Memphis and Minnesota. And as you correctly predicted yesterday, Memphis came back and won by 85 points. (laughs) Not even a game. So the question becomes this, because these are seven-game series. It's not best two out of three. It's seven-game series. Do you think any of... The top seeds, the one through fours, will right. lose this series. Because I don't. Well, we got uh, the Suns. We've got Memphis. We've got Golden State, which looks great so far. And yeah. we've got Dallas. So, obviously, Dallas can lose. 
Dallas is, and we don't know what Luka's yes. situation is. Again, just like the Suns, without your best player, you can lose. And in the East, we've got uh, Miami is not going to lose that series if if nope. if, if healthy. Um, we've got Milwaukee, not in order. We got uh, who's second? Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. And, Boston uh, is the one. Boston's the one well, you worry Boston's about, right? Because Boston's playing a team yeah. that could be the top seed in the entire league. That's so the right. seeding is completely misleading. Um, I, I don't I, look. I picked Boston, and I, I picked Boston. Right. So I don't have them losing. Uh, they could obviously go out and. You know, I know the Bulls played a tough game against Milwaukee. The Bulls will probably lose tonight by 20. To Milwaukee, they had a chance to steal a game and really get under their skin, and they, they didn't do it. They didn't close it out. So I don't think you know, Dallas is Dallas and Phoenix are in peril now. They're, 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 you know, Dallas more than Phoenix, but they're both in a tough situation. What's with Harden? What do you think? They're going to beat Toronto easily, but then they're going to get Miami. Miami is a significantly better team than Toronto. Oh, yeah. They are significantly oh, yeah. Oh, better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what do you, oh, yeah. like Harden, what's happened with Harden? I mean, I think I'm I about think to be very over. wrong about Harden. Yeah, I think it's I'm over. about to be very wrong. I think it's really? done for him in the way we saw Harden four years ago. Or two, three, you know, I think it's over. I think physically, mm. Tony, when people forget, you talk about usage rate. And, you know, I hate most of these newfangled stats. And it wasn't something we ever associated with trying to figure out whether Wilt played too much or West played too much or Oscar or, you know, Clyde Frazier or whoever. God knows, straight down through Magic Jordan Bird, Isaiah Thomas, Barkley. We didn't use that. But usage, Tony, Harden has as high a usage rate as any player in the league the last 10 years. Harden, he gets fouled legitimately, which means he's going to the basket, which means he gets hammered. And I don't care how big you are. And he's not the biggest guy. He's a big, strong guy. He's 6'5", 215, 220 pounds. But not so much that he doesn't have wear and tear. And I just look at Harden and I think, you know what? It's close to, to, to over for him in terms of domination. Mm. I mean, James Harden could win playoff games early in, the, early in the round, not late in the round. Early in the round by himself and did for years. But... I look at him now and I just go, I don't see that. I don't see the physical ability to dominate opponents. you got guys coming in the league now, Tone. He's got to go up at some point next year or the year after. He's got to go up against Anthony Edwards, who physically is Khalil Mack. And so is Harden going to, like, just willfully dominate a guy like that? No, he's not. So you have to have other people. So, so right now, Joel Embiid is that guy. Joel Embiid is in the prime of his career where physically he's going to – no one's going to dominate him, and he's going to be looking you eye to eye, even if you are Antetokounmpo or Djokovic. Djokovic. He's, he's, that's Embiid right now. And they've got to have other people. Now, can you keep Tyrese Maxey, who I've been telling you for a year and a half, is going to be a great – player. I said to a head coach who I will not name at the beginning of November, I said, I don't care about Ben Simmons all that much, not as much as other people. I don't think that Ben Simmons is the second coming of Russell, which some coaches and announcers and other players treat him as. I said, I'll take this kid Tyrese Maxey right now and let Ben Simmons walk. And the coach said to me, okay, Sparky, pipe down. Right now, I don't look too bad, do I? No, he's a because good. Ben I mean, Simmons can't. Ben Simmons can't give you anything at one in the four. That's Tyrese right. That's Maxey, at the moment in a playoff preview. Put hung thirty eight on somebody. This helps James Harden. Yes. This may cover for James Harden. There's a young, smart, capable, dynamic, coachable player in Philadelphia. In a, in a tough town, he's a tough kid. I love him. And I think that he, that Philadelphia can win because of him. You know how last year, just, Booker was the best player on Philly, but Chris Paul was more important? On Phoenix. That's what we have. Philly. James Harden yeah. may be the best player. I'm sorry, on Phoenix. James Harden may be the best player 
the better player of those two. But I think Maxie's already the more important player given physically what Harden's body's been through the last 10, 12 years. By the way, on an entirely different subject, did you read what Kareem wrote about the Lakers HBO show? You need to read this. It's brilliant. It's sure. brilliant. It's brilliant. It, it, it dissects and destroys the show. Um, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and Everything I should say this. I know. People don't know this. Kareem was disliked as a player by, other play, yeah. by everybody. Yeah. By yeah. everybody, including his teammates. Yeah. By everybody. Yeah. And his second act, I mean, I always knew he was smart. He's a terrific writer. He's, He's so writer. smart. So He's, He's so, so smart. And you and I talked about this tone on the on his seventy fifth birthday, which we wished him yeah, last week or so. But Tony, listen. So my brother watches this thing, and Don was here in Arizona with me over the weekend. He says, "You're not going to watch it." And I told people, I told people on the air, Wild and Sylvie, you know, I do their show every week in Chicago on ESPN one thousand, and they get on me. About, I said, "Listen to me." These people are not fictional to me. It's a real Urban people. Johnson is not fictional. Jerry West is not fictional to me. I know the. I even. I, I said. I told Wild and Sylvie last week. I said I'm going to say something really arrogant right now because they were talking about the guy who portrays Pat Riley and the guy who portrays you know Jerry West. By the way, Jerry West has like I don't know if there's a lawsuit, but Jerry West has asked his legal team has asked for an apology at at, he, at the he, at the way he's being portrayed. He is he's being portrayed, portrayed terribly and nasty and a bully. He's being portrayed, un- portrayed unfairly. And so I said to Wallen Sylvia, I said, you know what? This did not fictional to me that I can actually, if I wanted to pick up the phone and get to have breakfast with magic and Pat Riley right now. So they're not fictional to me. I'm not watching this junk. It's lie. It's garbage. I'm not watching it. And I don't, I don't discuss it with people. And I don't, when I say garbage, I just mean I know of factual, I don't even want to say inaccuracies, just either distortions, inaccuracies, whatever. This is and exactly, so, Bob to, Ryan to, said to, the same thing. You need to read Kareem. You need to I read will. it. It's so well, well was done. Was it in the New York Times? Where was this? No, I think he writes for the Hollywood Reporter or something. It's available. Okay. I've got it. If I knew how to but use my phone, I would send it to you. Yes, he writes, this is I, what I, they, I'll Google and I find it when I get up out here for real in the just, desert. It's really... It's unfortunate. And he, and he says, look, I'm portrayed badly. I don't care how I'm portrayed. I've been through this for 75 years. It doesn't matter. But it's wrong. You know. Anyway, okay, I, I that's think, it. I'll I, talk I think, to you later. I think, Take I a think nap. We ought to, I think we ought to do this story, by the way. I think you and Take I ought to talk about this on PTI as well. I do. It's well, a, the problem with talking about it the problem with talking about it is that it it is i apparently under the letter of the law fiction even though you and i both know all the times we've talked to all these people and they're <laughs> yes. not like this they're not Wait, like tony, this tony i just tony. worked with one of them like a week ago I just, <laughs> so, where we, so when you know just they're, they're not fictional on any level and I, I i i won't acknowledge it i won't do it any sort of honor by watching yeah. it or, or, or saying, oh, I've had this happen to me. Shot, you know, it's, I've it's, had this happen to me. It's been written. Certain things have been written about me that I said certain things in certain contexts. It's right. not true. And I was told, right. oh, it's just fiction. And I said, my name well, is in it. I'm not that's fiction. Right. <laughs> that's my name. Wait a minute. You I have know me that in this guy. spot. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Bad, I'll see you later. All right. Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Jeff Passan will join us. I wanted to talk about the kid in the Japanese league named Roki Sasaki, who was on the verge, perhaps, of a second perfect game. Like Vandermeer <laughs> times 10. Like, okay. <laughs> and, and suddenly he's not pitching anymore. And Passan, fortunately for me, Passan is very familiar with this player. So we have Passan when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. 
Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. One more time, Alexa Lash with Alexa and the Old Fashions. This is called Baked Apples, which she writes delves into nostalgia and the power of love and sensory memory. From her opening line, when I was a young girl, you lifted me high, higher than I've ever been, to the ever-evolving chorus, to the end of the song, and when I think of you, I smile, and when I think of you, it's like you're here with me for a little while longer for life. The listener has taken on a journey through remembrance, a reminder that when someone is gone, their memory is always with you for the rest of their lives. So... Did Alexa Lash write that, or did someone write that and as a critique of the song? I think someone wrote it as a critique of the song. That was what she sent us yeah. as, a, as a whole. She's great. She's fantastic. She's yes. great. Stop listening to me. <laughs> Listen to her. Michael, if people like Alexa Lash want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. I mean, she's great. Yes. She plays in Jeff Passon. So I, I wanted... I didn't know exactly what I wanted in terms of having a guest today. And then I got fascinated by uh, Roki Sasaki and his circumstance. And I said to Nigel, maybe Jeff Passan can talk. And it turns out Passan knows all about this kid. And to, to just set the record straight here, I think, Jeff, that you and I were on the other side of the street on the um, Clayton Kershaw circumstance. I was completely fine with taking him out, given his arm trouble and the length of the season and his age. And I thought you were not particularly fine with it because of having the opportunity to pitch a perfect game. Do I do I characterize us both correctly in that circumstance? I mean, like if I were going on first take and talking about it and I needed my, my hot take to be in my pocket. Yes, I probably would have been a little bit aggrieved that I didn't get to see Clayton Kershaw go for a perfect game, which is exactly how you should be selfish and not thinking about the actual person, you know, like trying to pitch the perfect game. But, you know, upon reflection and the more that I thought about it, and especially when Kershaw came out afterward and said he was fine with it, I get it. Like, I get it. Um, I just, honestly, I think pitchers are babied and coddled today. And my, my snap judgment there might have been conflating two different things that were actually separate. You look at the context, and Clayton Kershaw had not thrown more than 75 pitches in a game. Um, he was coming off an injury where, frankly, Tony, this offseason, there were a lot of people in baseball who thought that he was just going to retire. Like yes. You, you know. He was he was happy. He was spending time with his family. He was going to go do great work around the world, uh, like he had done during past off seasons before he had kids. Like he was going to be a humanitarian. Um, so for him to go out there and do that in his first game, I, as a fan of baseball, as a fan of Clayton Kershaw, the human being, got greedy in the moment and wanted to see him do something that he'd never done before and pursue history and give that great gift to baseball fans this early in the season. But yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I just think they're, okay. you know, I, I just think they, the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of, um, Oh no, these players are as fragile as Swarovski crystal. So we need to protect them. But the problem is throwing less doesn't protect them. They throw less than they've ever thrown before and they still get hurt all the time. So what point is major league baseball going to recognize that lowering pitch counts and taking out guys earlier, isn't the solution to keeping them healthy. So that brings us to Roki Sasaki in Japan, Uh who had pitched a perfect game in which he only threw 105 pitches. And he struck out 19, which means he didn't go to two balls on anyone. I mean, it's just (laughs) you got to get three strikes. And, you know, and he only threw 105 pitches. He's Uh in the eighth. He finished eight, I guess, with 102 pitches. And he'd only struck out 14. It was a bad day. (laughs) And he was going to maybe get 
a second perfect game in a row, which is, as I said earlier, Vandermeer times 10. It's just amazing. Nobody's breaking Johnny Vandermeer's record. Nobody's getting three no-hitters in a row. Nobody. Forget it. So this happens. What can you tell us about him as a pitcher? What can you tell us about perhaps is, is there a different sort of protective mechanism in the Japanese league? I was always under the impression that in Japan you only started once a week, which gives you a lot of time between starts, but I don't even know if that's true. Tell us about him. Uh, that is true. They're uh, on a once-a-week schedule there. Uh, I first heard about Roki Sasaki when I was... It was my first year at ESPN, so it was back in 2019. And I was actually doing a story on another phenom. Uh, I was in Bowling Green, Kentucky, working on a piece on an A-ball kid named Wander Franco. Uh, we now know who he is. He's very good. Yes. And yes. And and Wander, you know, I it, it's funny meeting. I think Wander was eighteen at the time, and and meeting an eighteen year old who uh, is is just learning English and but knows the words. Uh, I want to make the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like, <laughs> hearing hearing that from him, which I actually think he's probably going to. I I, I hate making that prediction that early in the career, but. It's it's he's along the Juan Soto line, so uh, I I feel pretty comfortable with that. Uh, but I I was out. I remember I was out having a beer with a scout after the game, and he he got Roki Sasaki's first name wrong. He thought it was a different first name, but he started telling me about this Sasaki kid, um, and he was hearing that the Dodgers were trying to sign him. Which, of course, the Dodgers were trying to sign him, and and you do not see, generally speaking, Japanese players going out of high school and signing with American teams, with major league teams. But this kid, he was telling me, he's 17, he's sitting 100 miles per hour. You know, he had seen him throw 101, and he he is this guy told me that day going to be the best pitcher in the world at some point. I'll tell you, Tony, Roki Sasaki at 20 years old might be the best pitcher in the world right now. That, I, wow. I, 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 listen, I understand maybe I'm getting caught up prisoner of the moment here, but if you watch the stuff, the pure raw stuff that he has, I don't know that any pitcher right now has that arsenal. And when you stack these back-to-back almost perfect game, uh, well, perfect game and almost perfect games together, you know, on top of these 33 strikeouts he has, uh, perfection tells you he's not walking anyone either. So he's got control and command of this stuff as well. Um, So, we are, I think, for a few years, and I don't know when he is going to come over. We are going to be sitting here and watching him from afar and counting down the days he comes here because uh, more than Shohei Otani as a pitcher, more than you Darvish, more than uh, Hiroki Kuroda, more than Hideo Nomo, all these great pitchers who have come over here, I think Roki Suzaki has a chance to be the first guy to come to Major League Baseball from Japan and be able to say that he is the best pitcher in the world. So uh, I guess I'm asking, how does it work? I mean, we see in soccer all the time, somebody wants somebody from another league and they just throw a pile of money at the team and they get that player. What are his contractual obligations? If the Yankees or the Dodgers said how much money to bring this kid here how would that work? Well, uh, they cannot do that. I mean, you know, there's, okay. you know, under the table uh, sort of uh, backroom conversations, back channeling going on like, hey, what's, you know, what's the interest in the kid coming over here? But there are two factors at play here. Number one, in Japan, there is a nine year reserve period on the initial contract for, for uh, players who live in Japan and come in through that entry system, meaning uh, they are not allowed to go to a foreign country uh, to play baseball 
whether it's here, whether it's Korea, whether it's elsewhere, until after they've spent nine years in the Japanese major leagues. Now, there's a way around that called the posting system. In the posting system, uh, a player generally will go to his team and say, I want to go play in the United States. I want to go play in Major League Baseball. I want to pursue my dream. Uh, How long are you going to hold me to this contract? And typically there's a negotiation in there like, hey, spend a few more years with us and we will post you. And this is a beneficial thing sometimes Japanese teams do because they get a posting fee from major league teams uh, that it's not equivalent to the services of the player, but at least there's some cash going. The The issue with this, though, is going to be, does Roki Sasaki want to go play major league baseball really badly? Yeah, does he want it? To, yeah, to the right. to the point. Well, well, but to the point where he's willing to sacrifice enormous amounts of money for it, or does he want to play major league baseball and get paid? Because uh, the rules that are in place right now, and we saw this with Shohei Otani, if you come as a foreign player to major league baseball, an international player, before you turn twenty five you are put in the international amateur system even if you have been a professional. And being in the international amateur system, there is a finite amount of money that you can get. Now, uh, complicating things even more, Tony, if the international draft, which could become a reality in Major League Baseball, uh, you know, the, the union and the league are still negotiating on this at this point. If the international draft becomes a reality, a team may hit the absolute jackpot if Roki Sasaki, before he turns 25, says, okay, this is when I want to come over. This is when the Chibalate Marines are going to let me come over. Uh, and, okay, who's going to draft me? Which makes me think if he's not happy with the team that has the number one pick that year, if it's not a team that he wants to go play for, it could push him potentially to wait even longer. So I, I hate the idea that we're not going to be seeing him over here uh, you know, as soon as possible because we have established already that I'm a very selfish baseball fan. Uh, but yeah. getting to getting to watch these clips of him throwing from afar, just the, these highlight studded, uh, ridiculous movement on breaking pitches in his splitter and, and this fastball that like sits at a hundred to a hundred two, it's it's obscene. I'll tell you a story. A long time ago, probably before you were born, when the ABA wanted to merge with the NBA, the NBA wanted no part of the ABA. They didn't care about the Floridians. They didn't care about Denver. <laughs> they didn't care about Indianapolis. They were in the biggest cities in the country. And then something happened. And that something was Julius Irving. And people began to say, I want to see Julius Irving. It's important to see Julius Irving against the best players in the world. And that's how the merger happened in 1976, because of Julius Irving. If this kid is the best pitcher in the world, and he, now he may not want to come. He may yeah. not want to. But if he wants to and he's the best pitcher in the world, I don't think it's going to take five years. I'm thinking maybe two, right? If he publicly says, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know him at this point, but are you, are you aware of his backstory at all, Tony? No, I know nothing about him except that he okay. almost had two perfect games in a row. <laughs> so, yeah. so back in 2011, um, the, the Tohoku uh, earthquake and tsunami, just a, a devastating, devastating thing that happened uh, in Japan. Um, oh, that's right. His, his family was in that, right? Uh, yeah, he is. He is from Lost. the region, and his father and grandparents were um, taken away in the tsunami and died. Yes. So I, I did hear that. I did hear I, that. I, I, yeah. I believe. I believe because of uh, because of familial considerations, there's going to be pulled yes, to keep okay. him there. There was a, there were a, okay. there was a, there was a lot of sentiment around that time when he was 17 years old and having to figure out, okay, am I going to be the one who pursues this path that no one has before? Um, that family is a lot of what kept him there. And I, uh, frankly, I'm trying to get to Japan uh, as soon as possible to flesh this out. 
not because I, I want a lovely trip uh, paid for by ESPN, because uh, this, this story is fascinating to me. The whole thing, everything we've talked about today, I think 20-year-olds are not fascinating. Sorry for anyone who's listening in 20 or not. Um, this is a fascinating 20-year-old. And, and even if he hasn't uh, lived and had the experiences that people who are uh, more wizened and have seen the world have, uh, I think he's packed a lot into these 20 years. And I, wow. uh, you, you know what it's like. You, you want to tell the story of the person who is ascending and how he's handling it and what it's doing to him and what his goals and dreams and aspirations are before he goes out and reaches them. I mean, I, I will just, uh, I'll say this as Horace Greeley should have said to you, go East young man. There's a plane leaving for Tokyo every single day from Dulles. Get on it. Get on it. Do you know how hard it is to get into Japan these days? No, no idea. No, it's, I have no ex- no idea, but I want you to go and do this story. Yeah, I here's the thing. I I could I could go right now and uh spend the you know, the next week or ten days uh with every reporter in the world trying to talk with him too. I, I'm 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 doing my I'm doing my thing right now. I'm trying to trying to pitch him on the idea that of, of all the reporters in the world who want to talk to him right now, uh, I'm the only guy worth your time, which is, which is truly a horrendously arrogant thing that we Love have it. to do as part of our job. Like, Love it. You know, I used to say that all don't, the time. Don't talk, with it. don't talk with anybody else. Just talk with Yeah, me. it's good. <laughs> good luck with that. Thanks for coming on. I had a million questions, but I really, I just wanted to know about this, and now I do. Thank you, Jeff. Talk soon. Thank you, Tony. Take care, buddy. Jeff Passan. Fantastic. That's great. I had all these other things to talk about, but I, but it's if he says he's the best pitcher in the world. In the world. In the world. That's phenomenal. We'll take a break. We'll have some jingles. We'll have some emails. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The time has come to change my score because the storm Joe Arrow's brilliant. Just, Joe Arrow's great. Fantastic. That's just so great. That is so great by Joe Arrow. So great. All the Safeways I've checked are fully stocked with Liz's muesli, so thank you for your concern. Oh, that's I'm outstanding. But Raspberry Faye, no longer available. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bethesda Bagel Land. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, well, you've got your diamonds and you've got your pretty clothes and the chauffeur drives your car. You let everybody know, but don't play with me, Mick Jagger said, because you're playing with fire. (laughs) Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Jeff Passan. Thanks to our sponsors, Truebill and X-Chair. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Do you see the Bethesda Bagel news for the DuPont location? I did not know. DuPont location's closing. Why? I don't know. Probably because no one really is down there anymore, but... Yeah, downtown. Downtown, yeah, nobody goes down there anymore. Downtown. Well, think all the lights are bright. Downtown. (laughs) Who's that? Petula Clark? Petula Clark, yes. All right, from Shad, a bunch of tribute to um, Wendy, the Valkyrie in red. 
Helen of Troy's face may have launched a thousand ships, but Wendy Rieger launched even more emails and hundreds of haikus and probably set a few hearts aflutter. Given your affection for her and her personality, it's not surprising that almost all mine ended with why we love Wendy. You can't control her. You can barely contain her. Why we love Wendy. Suggestive, filthy, the world's most dangerous guest. Why we love Wendy. When the date ends with tried to kick out the windshield. <laughs> why we love Wendy. Even on the pod, you knew Tony was blushing. Why we love Wendy. From Todd in Bristow, Virginia. I miss her already. I never knew her. Us littles remember Wendy as one of, if not the best guests you've ever had on the show. She was charming, funny, and candid, sometimes risque, even a bit dirty, and always a total joy. For little shows with Wendy's were appointment listening. You were our friend. I'm deeply saddened for your loss, but even the loss of folks we don't know can make us reflective and sad. This one does for me. See you in my dreams, dear Wendy. From Marsha LaBeouf. Long time, first time. DC has lost an icon, a force of nature, and certainly a piece of work. When Marlena Dietrich passed away, Washington Post critic Tom Shales ended his remembrance by saying, the boys in the back room are inconsolable because she used to sing, see what the boys in the back room will have. This phrase somehow fits, too, for the inimitable Wendy Rieger. We will never see the likes of her again. Condolences to inconsolable littles everywhere. From Bobby Gottfried, who encloses a picture of himself and Wendy. Wendy and I lived in the same building downtown for a few years. I knew her enough to say hi, but not much more. One night in 2015, a group of residents were hanging out on the roof, Wendy included. Eventually, we all went to the bar next door. At some point, I said to Wendy, we need to take a photo so I can mail it to Tony Kornheiser's show just to say, eat it, Kornheiser. She <laughs> loved the idea. My plan had been a normal photo, but she had other thoughts. She took the lead, and this is the result, which remains one of my favorite things. My subsequent email was simply three words, eat it, Kornheiser. <laughs> I remember getting a great reaction from the group in studio that day. I'm forever grateful to Wendy for making that moment possible. I know she'll be greatly missed. And of course... She is kissing him and putting her tongue in his ear. <laughs> uh, from Dan Wick in Janesville, Wisconsin, the actual Midwest. Tim Kirchin claims he can name all 23 pitchers who have thrown a Major League Baseball perfect game. That's cool. But can he name any of the rascals? That's the question. So we don't know about that. Tony Lutz in Redmond, Oregon. Uh, the Friday conversation with Tim Kirchin about Clinton Kirch Clayton Kershaw being pulled with a perfect game in 80 pitches led me to do some research. On June 14, 1974, Nolan Ryan threw 235 pitches and struck out 19 Red Sox hitters over 13 innings. He made his next start on three days rest and threw six scoreless innings. He pitched 19 more years. And this is to the point of babying people. Yeah. I can't go. Nolan Ryan, not baby. <laughs> not at all. Pitched till he was 45 years old. And where is he now? Cooperstown, boys and girls. Jeff in Madison, Wisconsin. I have been listening to this stinking show for over 20 years. I thought you peeked at entire mailbags filled with detailed explanation of listeners' lunches. But no, you outdid yourself with the directions everyone takes to work. That had to be it, the best you could get. But now two-plus weeks of cottage cheese talk. Gold. I can't wait to hear what's next. My name, middle name is Scott. I'm right-handled. Sometimes my left knee hurts. Just throwing those out in case any of those are the next big trend. 20 years, I never miss an episode. What are we doing here, man? My partner, Sam Shoup, or Shoupe, S-H-U-P-E, don't know how it's pronounced, is an avid fan of your show. <clears throat> I don't think he's missed a single episode in years. His devotion to sports is such that I, a former sports outsider, now listen to your show nightly. Watch the 2000 and 2000, 2021 and 2022 Masters, have a favorite basketball player, and can successfully pronounce, which I can't, Antetokounmpo on demand, something I never thought possible. My partner and I recently had a baby girl, and life is beautiful. But he still has yet to ask me to marry him. Not that he doesn't want to. He's literally just putting it off. We picked out a ring together. We're living together. We're committed. And baby makes three. Yet that ring is still not on my finger. Hmm. He jokes he's going to wait till October to ask me. Hilarious. However, I have a bargaining chip. He has promised me that if Tony Kornheiser tells him it's time to pop the question, he'll do it right then and there. A simple time to get on your knee, Sam Shoopy, from the one and only TK, and I'll have my wish. If you have it in your heart. To help a fellow wino out with a dream come true. <laughs> I would be forever grateful. Blessings to you and yours on the Easter weekend. Thank you for indulging me by reading this to the end. And that's Marissa or Marisa Edwards. Sam, do it. <laughs> do it. Stop yes. wasting everybody's time. You do should it. marry them. Oh, uh, yeah, Jay from great. Alaska, from the United States Air Force Academy, 1990. I heard on PTI that you were told you might like 
my fellow Air Force Academy grad, Greg Popovich, if you split a bottle of wine with him? Where would this happen? Over the kitchen sink? Would the wine tyrant let you choose the wine? Would you serve him steak from the toaster and lucerne 4% large curd cottage cheese? Maybe you could diagram a play for the Frisbee game with Chessie. He's had survival training, so maybe he could help you with your deer problem at the Little House or find the red bocce ball. A couple of 73-year-olds cutting up. Could be fun. Hopefully it wouldn't become a Don McLean or Peter Yarrow situation. Brilliant. Jay Owens. Brilliant. From Jeff Barger, Hillsboro, North Carolina. It took me four days to hitchhike from Saginaw. I've gone to look for coffee, ice cream, and cottage cheese. <laughs> from Brian in Falls Church, and this is good, and this, this really is for Bootsy and the Hammer. I can see the moon out my window. <laughs> from Harley Griffiths in Chicago via New Rochelle, New York. Tell Michael that Queensbury is a town in Warren County, New York, in the village of Lake George. I know Queensbury Country Club. I've played it my whole life. I'm 30. The first hole is a drivable par four, where I've shot my best score, 87, and where my maternal grandparents are buried. Seriously, for good luck on the 11th hole, my dad and I will purposefully slice our first tee shots into a wall of trees that guard the small graveyard where my parent grandparents' tombstones sit. Right next to Queensbury Country Club is a Stewart's. Get your coffee ice cream there. They sell brouhaha coffee ice cream. That might be the best coffee ice cream I've ever had in my life. It's also where my old man gets his New York Times, my sisters get their iced coffee, and where my grandma used to bury her, buy herself Stewart's famous buttered roll. They probably got some cottage cheese, too. I don't like the texture myself. <laughs> and from Bill Matfield in Fort Mill, South Carolina, the brilliant email about Matt from Matt about Himalayan pink sea salt made me self-conscious about the pink salt I have sitting right now on my dinner table. I go over and to my relief, my pink Himalayan salt is not advertised as sea salt. However, it does say product of Italy. Can you ask Wilbon how far the Himalayan mountains are from Italy for me? I'm just a lowly engineer with bad taste in salt. My geography skills aren't what I think they are. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. Not very good. Love it. Uh, but there was some worse than us. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. We weren't the worst team in the league. Well.